I've just noticed that like so many people just have like egregiously inefficient view functions that are doing like crazy loops. They're looping through, you know, potentially the same um, thousand item uh, array like twice and you're paying gas for that. And those are some of the cases where I've worked with protocols where like when I have like a huge gas saving, like when I make a function like 70 to 80 to 90% cheaper, most of those cases are because, you know, they don't take note of, you know, view functions and transactions. GMGM GM, everyone, my name is Degachi, the host of Scraping Bits, and I'm with the one and only Harrison. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, yeah, pleasure to be here talking with someone of your of your state. Of my state? You're not going to optimize it? Not going to change the gas? We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a good segue into basically what you do. Uh, I think you should give like a small little intro and then we'll get deep into it. <clears throat> yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Harrison, uh, Pop Punk on Twitter, uh, if you have seen me there. Uh, and I'm the co-founder and CTO of a company called Pop Punk LLC, uh, as well as Gaslight.gg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do gas optimization audits and we develop uh, highly efficient, highly scalable public goods for the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and this is something that's pretty much brand new to this space. Um, I'm sure everyone is familiar with security audits. Um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to take that in a different direction because I've noticed how much of an issue gas is in the whole development process. Mm-hmm. And people are just yeeting these smart contracts out there onto mainnet just with egregious gas consumptions. And, you know, I saw that issue um, and I wanted to address it. So we work with protocols on their gas consumption. We've worked with small protocols, large protocols. Um, and what we really want to do with this is just stress the importance of gas in the development process. And we want to eventually build this into something where we're not the only firm offering these gas optimization audits. We want this to be sort of a standard and expected part of the software development process in Mm -hmm. blockchain. So the goal for this is really that every protocol is expected that along with your security audit, you get a gas audit as well. Mm -hmm. Got you. Yeah, that's kind of the goal, Um, especially on Ethereum, people write... They, they always want security, but they're not taking into consideration how optimized is their code, how efficient is it, um, and people are impl- implementing kind of like the worst practices, right? And it's very interesting how you really started this all. It basically came from Twitter, right? You made some threads, and then it just kind of yeah. elevated and snowballed into what it is now, pop punk and, and gaslight. So maybe give an intro into how that happened, because it's, uh, it's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean... Um, I've been a software engineer for six or seven years, mostly, you know, previously working in uh, TradFi or FinTech, Mm -hmm. Um, spent two years at Gemini working on their trading exchange. Um, And then more so recently, basically, like in 2020, I went to ETH Denver, my first uh, Ethereum, you know, conference hackathon, would it be? Wrote Solidity for the first time there and really just like fell in love with it. But I got really, really interested in the whole like sort of gamification of gas prices and just Mm -hmm. like just previously for my entire career i'd be writing python and stuff where like respectfully like your memory doesn't matter like your memory doesn't um like matter like any of you know the efficiency of your code for the most part doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. and then i came to find solidity where it's like every single you know line of code actually has a direct result and it's like a dollar amount so i joined magna about a year ago, which is a token distribution platform. And I joined there as the uh, protocol, the lead protocol dev. And all of their smart contracts before I joined were written by like interns and stuff, which is fine. But I came in there and I immediately saw that there were a lot of inefficiencies in the smart contracts. And, you know, I had a lot of fun optimizing it. And just like working through the process of optimizing a protocol that was already developed was really fun for me. So I started to tweet about it and I would just write like simple tweets about like things that I'm finding like, hey, instead of doing this, you could do this simple thing and your function would be 40% more gas efficient and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I started to tweet about it. I started to write threads about like other big protocols that I've seen just because, you know, I wanted to really hone my craft on gas optimization. So I was looking at, you know, dozens of smart contracts a day and just, you know, writing tweets and threads like, hey, why are they doing this? They should do this. Mm -hmm. That went on for like a month or two. And then it evolved to the point where I started to get DMs on Twitter from like big companies, companies that like I use their platform, like, and they were reaching out and they're saying like, hey, I've seen you, you know, write these threads on Twitter, like, you clearly, you know, you like to look at gas and stuff, would you be interested in working with us? Yeah. So I started to, you know, on the side from my 
from my day job, do these gas optimization audits and consulting gigs with companies. Mm-hmm. And then it just evolved to the point where in the span of in the span of a month of doing it on the side, like I could see the money was clearly there, the demand was clearly there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I love protocol development to death, but like just like the fact that I had the opportunity to turn like my side gig and my hobby yeah. into my full-time career and build a company out of it was like a no-brainer to me. So about a month and a half ago, I quit my job at Magna and I just basically aped into this and full sent it. <laughs> also, I'm also working with Saigar and Optimizer who are consulting with me on some of these gas audits. Yep. Um, one of my best friends, Erin, left her job as a crypto lawyer and is the CEO and co-founder with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, we're just going wild with it, working with multiple protocols at a time and just, you know, getting rid of gas. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And you've basically found a passion as well for it and gone straight in. Um, and it's actually done you wonders, right? Like you, you're getting like massive deals and clientele coming in. Basically everyone wants it because this kind of industry never existed before, before you actually. And you actually, you popped off. <laughs> Once you started making these threads on, on gas, it, it was kind of considered like a joke at the start, but now it's really serious and massive protocols and, companies want your help uh, and there's nobody else really providing the service right yeah it, it's it's super interesting like I, I just like i kind of became like the gas guy on twitter like i had like 200 followers and i was just writing all these tweets about gas and people are like okay like what are you gonna do like put an unchecked block <laughs> on a loop or something like that and people kind of like wrote it off a little bit and i just continued to full send it mm-hmm and then I was able to um, get connected with Radiant Capital, which is one of the largest DeFi platforms in mm-hmm. the ecosystem. And I worked with them and, you know, they gave me like a really, really good review and they tweeted out basically statistics. And it was like on many of their core execution paths, I was able to save mm-hmm. between 30 to 88 percent gas on some of these expensive uh, actions. And I think that's sort of when people oh. started to realize like, hey, this isn't a joke. This isn't just saving like a penny here and there. Like there are serious cases where, you know, I could help make the difference between a $25 transaction yeah. or a $5 transaction. And, you know, we, we've seen it before, like where companies come out and they have these really, really inefficient contracts like Blur in the beginning. Yeah, That's all people talk about. And people are always going to like meme about it on Twitter and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Really, like at the end of the day, like a lot of the protocols that are working with, you know, me and my company, they're doing it for their users and they're doing it for the pockets of their users. Gas on Ethereum specifically is expensive. And for each opcode slash piece of code that's being executed, that costs gas and gas is money, right? So you want to lower yeah. this as much as possible. And this is basically what Harrison does at Pop Punk. Um, and it's very prevalent in these NFT protocols that are getting massive hype and they have basically a a backlog of people wanting to mint multiple uh, NFTs and maybe they have to do like a for loop on just like a hundreds, for example. And this can just cost so much money because it just fills up the the blockchain and then prices go higher because people want to, you know, have a transaction before others. And then it just makes it so expensive and it gets to even like the thousands of dollars just to do a transaction or hundreds, it's, it's insane. Um, so it is a very important thing to take into consideration when developing and not just security. Because if it's too expensive, people don't want to mint. And for the average person, they're not willing to spend hundreds of dollars just to send a transaction. So yeah, it's, it's very important. I think it's going to be a, a big industry. And you're obviously like a first mover, the one that kind of pioneered and brought the, the idea into the space. And you mentioned you're starting working with Radiant. What were the steps to kind of building this connection and building a clientele from scratch? Yeah, so I think a lot of it really just like stemmed from like my tweets. Like I'd have like an occasional tweet, even when I had a couple hundred followers go like, I remember quote that. Unquote, yeah, go like, quote unquote, viral and get like 50,000 impressions and stuff. And these companies would start to see it. Uh, Radiant was actually a connection from one of my friends who's a phenomenal uh, security researcher, Zero X Riptide. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's they, they reached out to him because he was working with them on some security stuff. And they were like, hey, do you know anyone who's good at gas? And mm-hmm. he referred me. I sort of did like a demo with them. Like I did like four or five hours, like really last minute of gas optimization for them. And they were really, really pleased with it. And then it evolved into them saying, you know, we're launching like our V2 of the entire Radiant protocol. Yep. 
month and like we'd love to work with you and i was super hyped just because like this isn't even like i I love when i don't have to like do outreach and i don't reach out to companies and companies like on their own are thinking like hey we really want to like reduce our gas consumption Mm -hmm. like how can we do this you know they reached out to him he reached out to me and yeah i mean it's been a phenomenal process to work with them they're a great company great developers and I always just think it's super based of a company, you know, when they want to actively work on reducing their gas cost. Yeah, because ultimately it's also efficiency of code and easy to read, easy to scale. What have been sort of the, the horror stories of, you know, your, your path so far, the most common sort of patterns and these are inefficient contracts. Yeah, I mean, like like you had like briefly touched on earlier, one of the biggest things is just like bulk actions or batched actions on chain. Like you said, like when you want to mint 100 NFTs or let's say you want to like add 100 items to like mm-hmm. a mapping or something, it's just people don't really think about how they're doing it and how they're processing it. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people doing like, you know, they, they'll they'll have like a function that they'll call like every single time in the loop, whereas they yep. can just call it once and cache the result beforehand. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of it is. You know, a lot of gas optimization that I do, it's not like super, super intricate things. I would say that's probably like 20 to 30% of it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is just sort of like common sense things that you might not think about in the development process that, you know, it's the same thing with like, the reason why like QA engineers exist is because it's obviously not the safest and the best thing to just have one set of eyes, like the developer looking at the code the entire time. Yep. You kind of want someone with an outside, an outside set of eyes to come at it. Mm-hmm. And then another really, really big issue that I've started to notice recently is there's sort of like the misconception with view functions. People think that, you know, because you mark a function as a view, it's totally free to call. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you're just calling the view function, that's the case. But if you're calling that view function in part of a transaction, you're going to pay the gas for that. And I've just noticed that like so many people just have like egregiously inefficient view functions that are doing like crazy loops. They're looping through, you know, potentially Mm -hmm. the same um, thousand item uh, array like twice and you're Mm -hmm. paying gas for that. And those are some of the cases where I've worked with protocols where like when I have like a huge gas saving, like when I make a function like 70 to 80 to 90 percent cheaper, most of those cases are because, you know, they don't take note of, you know, view functions and transactions. Mm hmm. Yeah, using a view function doesn't necessarily, it's going to be extremely cheap because uh, when you go under the hood and to like bytecode level, it's still performing the same um, operations as an external function or a public one. It's just done in a way where like it's still using the exact same opcodes as a, as a public one. So if you're, let's say you want to use storage and you don't want to cache something in, in view, that doesn't mean you're not going to spend you know, 2,100 gas and bringing it from cold. And then, you know what I mean? Like, instead of doing that, you can just put it in cache, like in cache, like the memory. And it's the same sort of functionality as uh, as external. It's just when you're calling it or querying it, you don't have to pay to submit basically a transaction. You're just querying it. But it's still, if you're interacting with it in an external, you're still paying for that gas. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's basically like if you go into like VS code and you write a function that doesn't modify any state values, like VS code will prompt you and be, and it'll encourage you to, um, you know, add the view modifier to the function. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like if you're going to call, say you want to call and see like whatever, like how many holders of a token there are and like you want to get their balances or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going to call the view function, you're going to, you know, get all the holders and you're going to iterate and, you know, sum up like the values or whatever, how, however be your, uh, your data structure is. Mm-hmm. If you're just going to call that, it's going to be free, obviously, because it's not going to modify state. But let's say that you have a function Um, And the first thing you want to do is like update balances and then you want to retrieve all of those values since you're going to be modifying state there and then calling the view function like the loop through, you know, those that thousand item array is not going to be free. You're going to be charged for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, view functions are non-modifying state functions, really. Uh, But you're still doing all these changes and whatnot with, with for loops. And I think for loops is probably the biggest pitfall and not knowing where storage and memory how storage and memory interacts, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, for loops are always a pretty crazy issue because just like surface level, like the way that you define your for loop can be pretty drastically optimized. Like let's say you have a loop in a function and you know, you're know you using memory parameters, mm-hmm. but 
you can be using call data. Like a lot of times just switching that one word from memory to call data could make your loop like 6% more efficient. And then there are other cases, like if you're gonna use memory, if you have to use memory, um, you wanna make sure that you're caching the length of that array when you're defining your for loop so you don't have to essentially like evaluate the length of that array every single time. Mm -hmm. You can, you can go really crazy with for loops too. Like it's like, obviously anything that you don't need to do multiple times in the definition, in the body of your for loop, you should be doing once beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you can go really, really crazy with for loops. Like one of my favorite scenarios is I wrote when the contract for when tokens.xyz, which is yep. like the most gas efficient airdrop. Um, and this was one of the cases where I just decided to basically write the entire thing in Yule. And Yule is really nice for for loops because uh, you're able to skip that array and bounds check every single time you iterate, which is going to save gas exponentially based on the size of your array. Mm -hmm. But Yule is really great because you can just like skip unnecessary opcodes that Solidity itself would subject you to. Mm -hmm. But Yule is sort of a double-edged sword. It's obviously really hard to read. And if you're going to write open source code that, you know, you want other people to like uh, import your libraries or, you know, use them in their code base, Yule is kind of tricky just because a lot of people don't like to look at Yule. A lot of auditors just typically don't like to look at Yule um, if they're not like a really top tier auditor or uh, they'll charge you more for Yule. Yeah. So that's also like a misconception with this gas optimization stuff. Like I talked to protocols and I would say probably like 10% of all companies, like one of the first things they mention is like, we don't want you to rewrite our entire contract with Yule. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, that's not going to be like what I'm going to do. Like it's really, really rare that I'll incorporate Yule into a new code base. I really only do it when it's like a no-brainer. Like say you have, you know, a view function that's summing something, like there's really no risk to add Yule to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think having Yule or inline assembly or you know, even half, it's, it's not desirable for big companies or even like people, even startups, any, any kind of company really, because it's such a niche and it's so hard to find experienced devs that are, you know, good at their craft with this, you know, lower level <laughs> kind of languages. Um, Solidity devs are everywhere. You can get a good one anytime if you have the right connections, right? But to find a good like assembly dev is so much harder and there's so much more room for error. So that's why these guys want, you know, the high level optimizations, which Harrison's doing. And I would love to know, how do you like charge for these gas optimizations when people approach you? Yeah, so we're sort of, we've had the current way that we've charging and we're slowly starting to pilot a new one. Um, but the the current, mm -hmm. like, I guess, like the legacy way that we're doing it is basically, it's just strictly based on like your lines of code, the complexity of your code base yeah. and, you know, your deadline. Like, we're going to obviously charge more if you're like, we need to deploy this in two days. So we have to like shift around other audits. Mm -hmm. And with this pricing model, like, it really depends. Like we've worked with protocols for, you know, five to 10 grand um, yep. all the way up to like, we've done six figure audits. Um, and wow. a lot of people are like, wow, like a six figure audit, like that's wild. Why, why, why would someone spend that much? Um, mm -hmm. But if you think about the fact that like, you know, a six figure audit is probably like a big company, a lot of smart contracts, they're gonna have a lot of users. And if you think about say you can optimize just like across the board, like 30% mm -hmm. for like all functionality, um, that's really going to trickle down to the users to say this protocol has, you know, 50,000 daily active users. If every user is going to be saving, you know, 10, 20, $50 a day, like that sort of is a net positive for the protocol mm -hmm. because, you know, if you have desirable code to use, if you have optimized code, your users are going to be happy. Mm -hmm. And then on, on the other side too, like I've worked with protocols where I'm doing a lot of optimization on like their functions that call their oracles. Yep. Um, and that's a direct benefit to them because they're maintaining these oracles, they're calling these functions functions they're doing the transactions so they're actually saving it like i've worked with a protocol who was spending twenty five thousand dollars a week just themselves on their oracle maintenance Oof. crazy and then yeah. we're slowly starting to pilot a new pricing model where it's essentially i was actually really inspired by owen Thurm from guardian audits he actually like reached out to me and he was like hey are you doing this and i'm like "Ooh, i kind of want to try that where mm -hmm. it's sort of a performance-based pricing model so we'll give you um like a flat price just for us to review your smart contracts. And then um, the pricing will be based on <clears throat> essentially how much gas optimization we're able to do. So for like this mm -hmm. contract, if we're able to like net average, you know, 5% savings, we'll charge this much more, 10%, this much more, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
probably going to be something that we start to do a lot more moving forward just because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of protocols are still skeptical about our services just because this is a brand new thing. Yeah. Obviously, like these great reviews from like Radiant and we're currently working with Pixel Vault and stuff, yeah. um, they'll help. But I think it'll be a lot more desirable if we're like, hey, just for us to review your code, we'll charge, you know, this small amount. Mm -hmm. And then you really are just paying based on how much, you know, benefit we can bring to you. Yeah, for sure. I think the the pay by what you produce is definitely a more attractive model. For example, if you're a startup and you don't have a lot of capital, you don't want to risk, you know, spending it and then not getting, you know, results you desire. So this this really like, okay, you're paying for results. You're not just paying for a gamble, really. And so anyone can really come. And I think a lot of projects should actually start providing this kind of model because um, nobody wants to spend, you know, 20 grand or 40 grand for something that they there's no guarantees right and then once your your reputation starts boosting it's it's kind of like even more okay this guy has a track record and we're paying for basically results there's a high guarantee that it's going to happen whereas if like a startup or you know a team that has this model and they don't produce results it's they're not losing anything right um, so it's kind of like a win-win. You, you just pay the, the results and it's kind of like con contribution in a way if they, yeah, exactly. Kind of like that. But yeah, I think it's a terrific model. And so basically doing like by percentage or how's, how's that go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it, it like, we're basically starting to pilot it with new customers where, yeah, it's percentage based, based on like this contract. If we can save this percent, it'll be this much more. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a really just like optimal model too, because, you know, I've worked with companies and like I, there might be, you know, code bases where I'm able to save, you know, 60, 70, 80% gas on some, you know, Crazy. actions. But there might be other protocols where that's just not possible. Like the things that they're doing, whether it's just like their code is, you know, super simple or, you know, they have really, really strong devs. I might only be able to save 10%. Just I don't want to like have the expectation where it's like I'm going to come in and I'm going to make everything, you know, half the cost. Because in a mm -hmm. lot of cases that is, you know, possible. And I'm super open when I work with protocols saying this stuff. Like I'll obviously always like use like Radiant because they're one of my early, you know, biggest customers, yeah. biggest clients. Like just like to kind of show my track record. But I really stress, you know, the idea that it's like these results aren't typical like everything is completely different every code base is different mm -hmm. so that's why i think that you know the new pricing model i think will really excel for us mm -hmm. so you used to do like basically the flat rate before and then you switched over yeah we're still really doing the flat rate for a lot of protocols like if it's okay. just like one smart contract and it's like I know I can rip through this in like five hours. I'm just going to charge like one fee. And it's just like whether I save 20% or 90%, like mm -hmm. it's whatever. But obviously, like for bigger protocols, I think that they're going to be, you know, a lot more enticed by this variable pricing structure. Mm -hmm. And you're basically doing the solo right now and you bring on like Vectorize um, and the other people when you can't, you're busy or something? Yeah. So essentially, like I basically went full-time and like, this is my full-time job. This is my full-time yep. career. Now I'm doing like, like crazy hours, like 12 to 16 hours a day of optimization. Um, nice. So a lot of this work is done solo by me, but I really like to bring on other sets of eyes like optimizer and Saigar. Um, not even if I'm just like really busy, but it's just like, we all sort of have our own like niche, like skill sets and stuff. Like obviously yep. Optimizer is probably one of the most competent assembly developers on the EVM, like in this space. Mm -hmm. And Saigar is just, the guy's cracked for like basically anything like NFT related. Like yeah. op obviously Optimizer and Saigar are the maintainers of ERC-721A, which if anyone's unfamiliar, it's um, basically like an Azuki developed like fork of ERC-721 where mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot cheaper to do batch actions because like I've basically like been talking about throughout this podcast so far, um, it doesn't update the state inside of the loop mm -hmm. basically for every loop iteration. It's going to update like the token owners and the balances and stuff afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. So ERC-721A is super cheap to use, but yeah, Saigar has worked with basically like almost every single like big like protocol that's dropped like an NFT. So like he's really, really well versed in that. And it's just, I think like together we all make a really solid team and like ideally I'd love to have just like them put any amount of hours into every single audit that I work on. Yeah, yeah. Get them all like full time or something. I would love to know, and I'm sure a lot of people would like to know, especially teams, what, what does your sort of process for optimizing small code bases and 
big code base is something like Seaport or something like that. Yeah, so a small like a small gas audit for like typically one smart contract um, mm-hmm. could be anywhere from one day to a couple days, depending on the size of that contract. But I'm basically just going to go through um, one of the big things we ask is like, what is the scope? Like, do you care about, you know, every single function being optimized or yeah. is it just like these like critical ones? Um Typically, the way that it works for just one smart contract is I'm going to go through it and then I'm going to give you all of the feedback afterwards just because I don't think it's like a net benefit for us time-wise if like I'm reporting to you with every single finding I have for one smart contract. If it's a huge protocol, like some of these protocols that I've worked on are like up to 10,000 lines of Solidity code. Um, and that's a really, really iterative process. So, yep. you know, I'm basically giving results as I find them. I'm working like through GitHub issues and I'm opening an issue and I'm updating it with every single new finding uh-huh. just because some of these audits can be, you know, 10 days all the way to like we're working on the Pixel Vault audit, which has been a month long. Um, and I really want to work with them and give them time. Like as I find something, if they want to just like rip through, review it, like open a PR and like get that fixed ASAP. And you're basically just doing GitHub issues. It's not like doing any reports at the end, like a normal, you know, standard audit for security. Yeah. So, I mean, I will say like things are a little bit all over the place because we're so early. So right now everything (laughs) is driven by, you know, GitHub issues and pull requests if I want to make the changes. Um, But we're working with some cool companies that are, you know, actually like willing and like actively developing software for us to use to generate like these really interactive like audit reports afterwards which Mm -hmm. i'm really excited to you know start using probably later this summer yeah it would be very interesting to to get those uh those reports so you could use them as like testimonials or actual like evidence that you've you know okay this is how much gas we saved for this company um on these contracts exactly yeah because like Obviously, the developers of a protocol will understand, like, we saved this or whatever. But, like, if you want, say, like, the, the CFO or the COO yeah, to, like, yeah. be able to do this, a lot of these times, you know, we're going to have to, you know, they have to, like, tell them. You can't be like, hey, you know, make a GitHub, look at all these GitHub issues. We want to have, like, a really <laughs> interactive report to see, like, this function, like, it previously consumed, like, this much gas in U.S. dollars. Now it consumes this much gas in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Say you wanted someone, you know, to mint 50 NFTs, it used to cost X, now it costs Y. And I think that's also just a benefit so we can sort of like um, itemize, you know, the work that we did to yeah. everybody who works at our company. Mm-hmm, for sure. What, what have been some like difficulties really uh, during this process of like starting up, building Pop Punk and from basically the ground up? Yeah, um, I think the biggest the biggest issue was sort of earlier on was just like people didn't take me seriously and didn't take what I do seriously. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, oh, it's just like tweeting about gas and stuff. They didn't think it was important. That was definitely one of the biggest hurdles. And it really took just like really honing my craft and just really working with like a bunch of customers early yeah. on and showing like the results and stuff. And I think people will start to see like when Radiant like actually goes to mainnet with their yeah. V2 protocol which they're going to eventually be doing. I think that's going to be huge because Radiant was built essentially like in mind with just being on L2s. Um, And I think one of the biggest things is going to be like us working with L2 protocols and optimizing them to the point where they're feasible on mainnet Ethereum, I think is going to be huge. And that's when I think people will, you know, take what we do a lot more seriously. L2s in general, like everything basically, but Ethereum is quite cheap. So Gas doesn't matter as much. Unfortunately for Ethereum, gas is a massive uh, factor when developing. So I wonder if you're doing any optimizations for anybody on different chains or is it strictly Ethereum? Yeah, no, actually, I would say the majority of the customers that we've worked on so far have been on non-Ethereum mainnet. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. We've worked with customers on like Arbitrum, um, Binance Smart Chain, Polygon. Okay. Um, I was not expecting Because that. that's a, like another one of the misconceptions is that, oh, we're on an L2, gas doesn't matter. And that's probably the second biggest thing. Like, aside from people being like, gas optimization isn't important, one of the other biggest struggles is a company being like, we're on a layer two, it doesn't matter, gas is already cheap. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I say that's a misconception is like, yes, like the base gas costs are already pretty cheap, mm-hmm. but the, you know, these bulk actions, like you can still have a function that could cost $2, we can make it 50 cents. But even the more important thing is like, just because you're on an L2, yes, gas is cheap, but you're still going to have that same, you know, around 30 million gas unit block size. So even if your code is inefficient mm-hmm. on an L2, you might only be able to say mint 50 NFTs instead of me going in there and optimizing and allowing you to mint, 
you know, 400 NFTs in a transaction. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, even I had that kind of uh, that view. Like, it doesn't matter too much, but when you put it in a way where you think a lot of people are going to be using it, and in the long run, do you want people your your customers to basically have more money to spend because you're you're saving them on transaction fees, which they could you know use for other endeavors. Um, so it, it definitely does matter on L2s. Just I think people sweep it under the rug um, and then come back to it later because I don't think it's too as important as uh, security when it comes to L2s. But apparently not. Your <laughs> your clientele says otherwise. <laughs> yeah, because a lot because like even though you know it might not impact the cost, it's going to affect like the computation power like in a single transaction and like yeah, how much why limit you your users like why let them do you know only a little bit per transaction when they can you know batch way more into a transaction. It's yeah, just yeah. like most of this gas optimization really just boils down to like aside from the cost um it's just user experience like yeah. you want the users to pay the minimum amount of gas that they can you want them to do the maximum amount every time they click a button and it all just boils down to that mm -hmm. and i think another big factor for companies as well or protocols to get these optimizations is when a user interacts with your contract and they see the fee is just really high that's also very off-putting for the user so it's not just okay we're optimizing and saving you money it's also giving you an image do you want to be known as that person or that protocol with you know the high fees oh, i remember that protocol it, it just came out the minting was extremely high more than the actual cost of the mint do you want to be known as that that protocol and have that kind of <laughs> reputation or do you want to have the low fees and kind of differentiate yourself from everyone else because it's a pretty common thing of protocols having high gas and people paying ridiculous fees just to get into like a mint of an NFT collection that just came out or, you know, just doing like a, a transaction of like a swap and a liquidity pool, all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it is important to consider and you should realize all aspects of it, especially on like the front end because they're going to see and they might be discouraged and not want to use your protocol. And that's a reality. So definitely take that into consideration, owners and CEOs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like we've, like, I've, I've seen it before. Like I've wanted to like, just like mint like a, like I've wanted to do like a free mint or whatever for like a friend, yeah. like I support the stuff, but like you go to the website and if gas is high, like you could be paying $25 to mint a free NFT. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a free NFT, but is it really free if I'm paying like 20, 25 bucks to mint it? Um, oh yeah. And yeah. That's, that's one of the thing. Like I spoke about earlier is like the blur scenario where it's like, obviously like people got sort of like comfortable with like how OpenSea was. OpenSea was like the leader of the pack and um, you know, the OpenSea protocol team is some of the most competent and just like best, you know, efficient developers in the space. And mm -hmm. then blur comes out, there's tons of volume on blur, but people are noticing like, Hey, some of these actions cost, you know, three times the cost of OpenSea, And that's going to like mm -hmm. resonate in people's minds and think like, Hey, do I really want to use this protocol? If you know, I'm going to have to pay substantially more to use it. Mm -hmm. And even just marketing for OpenSea would, would be better as well. It's like, okay, look at our gas costs compared to our competitors. Who are you going to use just based off that? It's just an instant, you know, okay, going to use the cheapest one. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of something that like I'm starting to see with like competitors and stuff is like I'll work with a company, you know, they'll be really public about like the optimization, the services that I was able to offer to them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one of their competitors will reach out because they're like, shit, like this company did it. I feel like we have to <laughs> as well. And I hate like yeah. that feeling where it's just like they're only using me because like they need the competitive edge and stuff. But like at the end of the day, mm -hmm. like I'll, I'll work with almost every single company in this space, which is the goal, because at the end of the day, you know, I don't care about the, the money, the Twitter followers, the Twitter likes and stuff. Obviously, that's great. But like at the end of the day, it all just comes down to like like having optimized smart contracts are just it's a net positive for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. Like I've had so many people ask me like, oh, what are you going to do when, you know, auditing firm X or auditing firm Y offers gas optimization and like. <sighs> no one wants to use you anymore. And I'm telling everyone, like, <laughs> to me, that's that's the goal. Like, I want all auditing yeah. firms to offer. Yeah, exactly. And it's even a net, it's a net positive for the whole ecosystem, right? Because the end goal is to basically have the world use crypto. And the only way you can get people to use it if, if it's cheap and it's 
it's effective. And if people are in like some normies on the street are trying to interact and buy like groceries with a function that just costs, you know, $10 to <laughs> execute, it's not going to become a reality, is it? So it is a very important thing and it's very overlooked. Um, it's not just some meme on Twitter. Oh, it's, I'm like 10% more optimized, 50% more optimized than you. Like, okay, it's a, it's a big thing. And that's the only way that the world's going to onboard if it's, if it's usable. And this is a core factor if, if it can become usable. Exactly. Yeah. And like, another thing is like, I'm really like, I, I hate to say it, but like, I really am just like an EVM, like or an ETH mainnet maxi. And just like, I really want to work with as many protocols on ETH mainnet to make them, you know, feasible and cheap as possible. Because like, let's say you want to bring like new, you know, a batch of your friends into web three that haven't been in it before. Like, yeah. it's a pretty daunting, annoying task for someone that has no experience to, to like tell them like, okay, you have to buy ETH on Coinbase, then you have to send it to your MetaMask, then you have to bridge it to this <laughs> new network and you have to wait 25 minutes for like the Polygon bridge or something. Like yeah. L2s are great for a lot of things. Like I really think that like layer twos are going to be where, you know, like fully on-chain gaming lives. And I like that. But yeah. for all these other like things, like if ETH mainnet was just like cheap for people to use, I think that's a, a really good way to onboard more people into Web3 so you don't have to be like, okay, now swap to this chain. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, and by the way, you have to pay for that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to move your money. But yeah, man, how did you even get to learn and to optimize basically uh, smart contracts? Because it is a different game to a... Uh, to just traditional code because it has that you know financial factor so yeah how did you get into basically yes. learning this so i mean i basically like i joined magna um and i like one of my first tasks was i wanted to rewrite all their smart contracts they were on essentially like v0 smart contracts i wanted to rewrite you know and go to v1 and i was just like noticing things because you know before june of last year basically before a year ago mm. I didn't think about gas. Like I've only been developing Solidity for, you know, a little over like a year and four months. Um, so I was just focusing on like writing smart contracts, but coming in, I was just noticing things and I was like, why are they, you know, you know, putting this in storage multiple times or like, why are they doing this? And I was just like noticing and like running the tests and I'm like, this gas seems like really high. And just like in doing so, if just like rewriting functions, I'd started to notice, I'm like, wait, so I just made this function half the cost, like what else can I do? Mm -hmm. And it really just like, it was like the gamification of gas to me. I just like got obsessed with like chasing that feeling of like making the gas as low as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's really where it all started was just like coming into a code base that, you know, Magnus code was fine. It functioned, it was super secure, super safe. Mm -hmm. But I just got obsessed with that feeling of like, how can I make this lower? And then, as I said, like I started to just look at other protocols because I was like, hey, let me look at these smart contracts that I interact with like a, on a semi-regular basis. Like, how are they doing things? Started to notice just like even some of the biggest companies in the space aren't focusing on gas and mm -hmm. it just got me obsessed with it. Oh, yeah. And, and like how much did you like save for Mag Magna when you, when you did it? I think you mentioned it oh, before. Oh, but... a, a ton. Um, I think that like between v0 and v1 of their smart contracts are like half the cost and then right when i left i was wrapping up the development of the v2 of the protocol yeah. and i think v2 of the protocol going from v1 to v2 was like 50 percent cheaper so it's pretty drastic savings um mm -hmm. and i love the magnet team to death love everyone that i worked with there um and I'm happy that like Magna is essentially like the most gas efficient, you know, token vesting and airdrops like mm -hmm. on the planet. Now that you have like more clientele and um, you have a lot more, I guess, statistics, what, what, what do you think is like the average gas you're saving for people? Yeah, I would say the like the base average, I think, would be between like 20 to 30 percent, like overall. Obviously, a lot of that is like skewed by some of the customers, like where I'm able to save like 60 to 80 percent. Yeah. But like on average, if it's like a, a, a semi complicated code base, we should be able to save around like 20, 25, 30 percent on things. Obviously, if it's like a super simple contract where, you know, there's not really a lot of like loops, not really a lot of like potential ways to like game storage and memory and stuff, mm -hmm. it'll be cheaper. But on average, I'd say it's pretty common to save someone 20 percent overall. Yeah, and does this include like changing data types? So let's say someone has a struct in an array and it's just, yeah, an array of structs or like a mapping of 
nested structs? Do you, do you do any of that kind of optimization as well? Or some, some cases, yeah. I typically don't like to change really like core core functionality unless okay. it's going to be a massive optimization. Yeah. Like if I see like, hey, this will be half the cost if we you know change the way that you're you know constructing like these values. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of this is really just like sur- like surface level solidity things. And then just like basically running like transactions through like tenderly seeing where the gas is coming from and saying like, hey, you actually don't need to call this function every single time and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of tenderly, um, let's say if you had a if you could create a tool basically to help you in your endeavors. Um, yeah. What would that kind of look like? Yeah. So honestly, like the thing that would, you know, make my job easier and also help a lot of developers um would be like slither, but for gas, like gas fuzzing, like mm-hmm. just slither will point out like these like static analysis of like vulnerabilities security wise mm-hmm. things, you know, the, basically that, but for gas and, you know, me wanting that definitely would make me less money overall because, you know, I'll have a lot less stuff to optimize. But like I keep saying, like, I just care about everyone having cheap gas, but you know, if, if someone I've seen people like reply to my tweets and stuff and they're like, Oh, like slither or whatever, like you can have like gas fuzzing. I think that would probably be really, really good for the space. Well, hopefully people are going to start building that after this, if this gets traction. But uh, yeah, it, it, that's, it's pretty interesting. I think it could definitely be done. But the also another interesting thing that kind of would prevent like really great gas optimization is the fact that Etherscan would not be able to verify like the changed code. And that's like a massive problem. And that's why you're sticking to Solidity, right? Because it can't be verified on, on Etherscan. I think a lot of people want their contracts verified. So it's like, okay, everyone, you can see what our code is and not be like lost in the byte code. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. pretty a big yeah. downfall, I think. Yeah, I still, I mean, anytime I go to a, to like a company's like website and I click their GitHub and I see that they have unverified bytecode on Etherscan, there's a really, really low chance that I'm going to interact with their smart contracts. I'm not like as much of a wizard with bytecode as like you are. Um, but when I see bytecode, I get a little bit nervous. Yeah, because you don't know what's happening. And yeah. if you wanted to learn, you would have to do, you basically have to be like a specialist to learn how to read and understand really quickly otherwise it's just a whole process and then at that point is it even worth it um unless you're doing some like very niche things like i guess mev or you know looking to exploit someone (laughs) (laughs) but another thing i wanted to to ask is since you've like kind of done all this and you were juggling basically your own job and doing this as a side gig and now it's full-time what what did your schedule look before you became full-time full-time and then what did your schedule look like it was pretty wild. So I typically like wake up. I, I wake up at like six to six thirty a.m. to like walk my dog, feed him. I would do like an hour or two of gas optimization. Then I would put in like minimum of like nine to five to six to seven at like Magna, my full time job. Mm-hmm. And then it was basically like just straight after that, like all gas optimization. And I would do gas optimization until like you know, midnight, one, two, three a.m., and then just go to sleep and do it all over. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a really firm believer in like, you know, while I'm young, um, I don't really care as much about like my work life balance. Like, I just want to be doing things that excite me, and I'm like always want to be learning. And I think that you know, blockchain and Web three is one of the spaces where you could always be learning. So I'm totally yeah. down to just like ape crazy hours into it. Obviously, <laughs> my girlfriend's happy when she's like hey, tonight, can we not talk about blockchain? And I'm like, I mean, I'll try. <laughs> but, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. the the, the, the hours were crazy. Um, and I'm still really doing it. Like, I've, now that I'm full-time on this, like, I still just love to gas optimize because it's crazy because, you know, gas optimization, you know, before I started doing it for money was, you know, my hobby. Then once mm-hmm. I started to do it part-time, it was my side gig. And now I've basically turned my hobby into my full-time career. And like, I'm just, you know, happier than I've ever been doing it crazy hour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You you basically found a passion and just kept on doing it. And then it developed into something because you basically identified an opportunity and executed um, and you're still executing. But I think uh, a key thing to touch on that is that you kind of don't have a, a work-life balance, right? And uh, it's a common thing to see a lot of successful people um, 
not have a work-life balance because they're so focused on, you know, basically accelerating their learning and get to the next level as fast as possible because time is time is very precious and if you can dedicate that into one thing laser focused as much time as possible then you're going to go faster than the guy doing you know part-time not focused when doing it you know coming back from work and now he's like all drained mentally and needs to rest and whatnot spend time with their family whatever but i think a, a key thing as well is take risks when you're young and this is like a massive risk of course that's paid off um because you put in the work and you gave yourself the time and energy to to really have at it exactly yeah and like i, I just want to like mention that like i'm doing this all willingly like if i wanted to i could work you know three hours a day on gas optimization make mm-hmm. a higher salary than i would make at you know any other you know big tech company um but that doesn't satisfy me it's like i like to put in these hours like I consciously make the decision to work with, you know, two, three protocols at a time and do these concurrent gas audits for multiple protocols at a time and sort of bounce between like the contracts. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's definitely not like the healthiest thing to work as much as I do. But Mm -hmm. you know, I'm still, you know, relatively young. So I'm just gonna put as much time (laughs) in. Um, When I start to feel like I'll like I'm burning out, you know, I'll slowly, you know, cut back on the hours I work. But for now, like it's full send. Full sound, yeah. Burnout is also like a big thing. I think I'm experiencing somewhat now because I've just taken on so much work. Do you ever do like a bit of a switching of tasks or are you always basically optimizing? Yeah, so like when I switch tasks and stuff, like it's basically I'll go from like working on like a paid gas audit that I'm doing to just like going through Twitter, see what companies release new smart contracts, looking at it, seeing if I could write a thread about it. Like it's obviously still like gas optimization, but it's sort of like a less refined version of it. Fortunately, you know, I've been doing this for a little bit now, a couple months, no burnout. I definitely have experienced burnout in the past. For me, burnout is a lot more prevalent when I'm working on something that I'm not passionate about. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, back when I was working at like, you know, Gemini or just writing just like web two code, like writing Scala backends and stuff. Like I just wasn't hyped about it. Like I will say before I got into web three, um, I had never, like once I left the office at 5 PM, that was it. I wasn't looking at Slack. I wasn't, you know, pulling up like GitHub pull requests to review stuff. Like I just wasn't really passionate about work. Like for me back then, you know, Mm -hmm. from 2017 to 2021, like, you know, work for me was just work. Like it was a job that I did, you know, to get paid and then I would have fun. But now, you know, I've gotten to the point where like, I I stress this a lot on Twitter, but like nobody in this space knows everything. Like there's always so much more stuff to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's what motivates me to just, you know, um, essentially like we all say it in, you know, crypto Twitter, but like I'm terminally online and I enjoy (laughs) it. Terminally online. An important thing for startups as well is just being, basically terminally online otherwise it's not going to work like you have to be consistent and have at it to even make progress because if you're not consistent it's just gonna like you you have to basically live the life you want to live and it can be for example an hour each day that you're still living the life you want to live and you may exponentially well like linearly or exponentially change that like you did so from basically side to full-time or if you're trying to get to that that level you just do like an hour each day two hours three hours and if it starts making a lot of money or even enough money to just live right you don't have to make millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars you can just make enough to to live and then continue going just take the risk and see how it goes because you can always get a job right it's not the end of the world if you're not going to make you know 200k this year or 100k any any kind of like software job you can always come back <laughs> um, unless you're like financially, um, you know, not prepared, then don't take the risk. Obviously, that's when you do, you know, part time and and a full time job. But if you have the money, I think it's always worth taking the risk if you can, because it's a risk not to take a risk. Right. If you don't do it and don't try, then you're going to go later on life and regret it and still might be just like basically slaving away at your job and then you've missed that opportunity and opportunities you should always try and grasp them when they're in front of your face at least that's what I'm trying to do and it's kind of working (laughs) and obviously it's it's been working for you hopefully that helps other people um yeah go for those dangling things in front of your face and just go for it man (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. Like I couldn't agree more. Like obviously, like, you know, before I have like a wife, kids, family, whatever and stuff, like yeah. I can afford to put in these hours and like say, you know, even if I, you know, do this for another month and like it flops and I never have another company like reach out to me again, like which I obviously don't think will be the case based on like our trajectory right now. But like mm-hmm. if that was the case, like I wouldn't be bummed. Like I got to work full time on the thing that I'm most passionate about, like in tech for, you know, a couple months. And I would be hyped about that. And it is funny. Like, it'll be like 11 PM. I'll be like hanging out with my girlfriend and she's like, who are you texting? And I'm like, Oh, it's actually like a customer. Like I'm giving them feedback or whatever. And she's (laughs) like, what? It's like, she works in healthcare, like in a hospital and doesn't understand that. Like I could be closing deals or like, you know, shilling our company at, you know, midnight to people, which is hysterical. (laughs) Yeah. I think optimizing your life as well is incredibly important for success. And just gain like the right amount of sleep because a lot of people, a lot of auditors and you know cybersecurity people, just devs in general, they you get lost in the source and just spend hours and hours, and then your bedtime is passed, and then you have to wake up at a certain time, and then you've just lost like I don't know, you know, four hours of sleep, and then the next morning you're not optimal, you're not at an optimal state. But obviously, sometimes it's it's like a necessary evil to like do an all nighter to finish like an urgent task, but more often than not, if you want to be optimal and want to really accelerate everything, you've got to sleep and eat right and you know, go to the gym, work on your body. Because a, a strong body is a strong mind. And especially take breaks. I think mental health is also a big thing. Um, yeah, big time. I would like, I definitely would recommend, like, in addition to everything you said, like, I'm a firm believer, like, I, if I didn't have like my dog, I would be sitting at my desk all day, like every single day. And I just like having like a dog or a pet or just like something that depends on you is like really good to like get me out of the house, like take him for a walk, yeah. go, like run around in the backyard with him and stuff. And it's just like a reminder to like, hey, don't sit at your desk for 16 hours, like get fresh air because like all these times, like especially like with devs and stuff, like you're going to be sitting at your desk. Maybe you're stuck on a problem for like four hours, like yeah you just you can't dwell over it like get up go outside go eat something go to the gym go for a run do whatever and a lot of times like i'll be like looking at a smart contract i'll optimize it for a couple hours and i'll be like all right this is good this is totally done like i'm ready to like you know give the feedback i'll go outside for like an hour come back and i'm like holy shit i miss this like this is huge now yeah i think that's a massive thing as well even taking time away or you know thinking about a problem before you sleep the next you're basically like refreshed right and Mm -hmm. you think more creatively and it's a common thing that i see in myself but if i'm just staring at something for hours and days and i don't know what's wrong it's good to just take a day off or a couple hours and then come back Uh, like a walk for me does wonders you come back and you realize oh that was so simple i was just overcomplicating things or i just read it so many times my mind skipped it so it's a it's a big it's a big help to take breaks. <laughs> Don't yeah, undermine them. But yeah, man, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, pioneering the gas scene. And I know big things are coming ahead. Um, starting basically hiring now. You just hired your first intern. Congrats on that. And thank you. A lot of deals coming in, a lot of people wanting your help. And I think it's gonna blow up and it's already kind of blowing up. Um, so I'm excited to see the future. But yeah, once again, pleasure to have you on. And I hope everyone has a great day. Yeah, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Degachi. Um, been a fan of you for like basically as long as I've been on Twitter and just like being able to like shoot the shit with you on a daily basis now is just so much fun. And yeah, this was super helpful. Um, I guess, you know, for me to just like get things off my mind and mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully people start using you as well. <laughs> hopefully it brings some, uh, yeah. some traction and people are more optimized so I can mint some NFTs. But yeah, guys, this has been Scraping Bits with Harrison. Take care. <laughs>